Um, hold on. I my dogs are barking. I have to make them stop, or they won't. Like your feet hurt? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a dumb joke. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of from San Diego, California. Back on the show, Keith Foster. Uh, you have always been with the show, Cassidy Robinson. Yes. Uh, so, as with every episode we do, um, if we take a week off, we uh, start the episode in an entirely different world. The last episode we did was with some guests that I had on. I had uh, Kyle and Ellie from the E-Word podcast. Uh, we talked about the depiction of emo in film, given that that's the subject of their podcast. And I had to release it uh, in uh, one of the worst weeks in American history. Yeah, it's been pretty bad. At least recent it's American history. So if anybody listened to that episode, I kind of put a... Uh, disclaimer at the top saying like this is a silly episode and i'm sorry for that but here you go um and i don't want to get too deep or anything at the top of the show here uh we are going to have fun we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about movies uh that include the new pete davidson picture uh the king of staten island which just came out in streaming services recently uh direct to streaming and we are also going to be reviewing at the end of the program the Hunt for the Wilder People that is available on Hulu. But I did want to say because I wasn't really able to expound on it in my uh, my disclaimer at the last episode that um, yeah, like I, I actually don't know what to say. I but mean, here's the thing: shit is whack. Uh, it has been this way for a really long time uh and it's it's just reaching a boiling point mm -hmm. um the thing that's crazy about this is it's nothing new no. this isn't new uh i i you know and i'm sure that if you're listening to this you probably heard a lot of people already talking about this and how you know uh is is it due to frustration from being locked inside from COVID and it's mm -hmm. just like kind of reached an epicenter? I mean, whatever it is, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. And uh, specifically, if you're white and listening to this, you might not have all the perspective you need. Uh, you know, I know I'm still learning. I'm still filling in gaps. I, I try to think of myself as, you know, an ally. Uh, mm -hmm. And... You know, every time I do, I look back on something I said or done in the past and and I know that I can think of several moments that are very cringeworthy that I'm like, oh, God, you know, and mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully you're just trying to listen and learn and move forward and, and help the country move forward. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I reflect most of the things you just said there. Um, yeah, I feel really bad about everything that's going on. It's it's it does kind of feel like there's a I don't know there was a tipping point that happened, and you know, but at the same time, 
I'm also sort of excited. Not every single bad yes. thing that's happened in the last three weeks, but I'm excited to see mobilization and people waking up. And one of the things I always said about, uh, you know, when I in my more cynical moods, which is most of the time, I always said, you know, we're never really going to see huge systemic change on any national level because people are pretty much pacified by the comfort of their cell phones and the media and fast food and whatever it is. American life is just too easy to ever mm -hmm. actually take a look at real problems that are happening on a, on a major level. It's too, the news cycle moves so fast that, you know, after a, a horrific murder of a person of color by a police officer, three days later, we're talking about the next Trump tweet or whatever it is. But mm -hmm. I think because, because of the pandemic and the lack of comfort that we have in our regular everyday lives now, it made us actually like stop and reflect on this moment. And yeah, I do think it was uh, a lot of people were just like, fuck this. And yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and I get I behind think, that. And I think it's I, absolutely. And I also think it's, it's getting to the point where even from our privileged white perspectives, mm. it's getting harder and harder to ignore, which is, that is a good thing. It's, it's good that we are trying to progress and change for the better and make right. everybody's lives more comfortable. Uh, and, and generally be less ignorant. I think that's the, that's the goal. But also, you know, like, this is going to take... This isn't going to be something that's going to happen overnight, and it's not going to be something that even happens probably over a presidency or two, but it's going to have to be, you know, constant pressure on yeah. everybody from the from the top down. And whether, you know... Change is, change is always slow, and unfortunately, change is usually violent. I'm And I'm not calling for violence, I'm not saying anything like that, it just, people don't want to change and right. the people who are in power want to maintain that power and for as long as america has existed it has been uh white men that are in power so right. yeah, of of course they are going to resist that and it's and it's it's not going to be easy it's not going to be pleasant it's not going to be fun um but hopefully we come out the other side and we are stronger for it. And mm -hmm. hopefully we can get some new perspectives, uh, some, and, and get some lasting change. And, and hopefully people can stop needlessly dying. Uh, yeah. it is incredibly hopefully frustrating there. You know, there's big debates about the way that police policing is done in America right now. Um, calls to defund the police calls, Calls to reallocate um, budgets that we are, you know, massive, insane billion dollar budgets that we're giving to police over the actual programs that would lessen crime in the first place. Um, and I, I'm excited to see, you know, where those conversations lead because, um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you've been on Twitter and I know you haven't, uh, all I've seen is hundreds of videos of police officers being just completely authoritarian. Yeah, it's it's um, scary. It's and scary, it, you know, to people to everybody. It's not not just 
not just you know black people of course that is uh what happens on a on a on a day to day basis when nobody's paying attention but but now when everybody's paying attention they still refuse to to change to, to change down and to, to or to, to even even appear like they care and yeah. that's that's what i think has been the most shocking thing but i again i don't want to like get super bummer and i don't want to like make this podcast about something it's not and i'm not I, an I expert do. and i'm not definitely not the person no. that you should be talking to about this but i do want to exactly. say there's really good um there's really good organizations out there that you could be donating yes. to and if you have yeah. any money i know if money's tight right now please donate to you know your local black lives matter chapters or uh there's really good uh um bail uh, uh, donations out there for people who have been um, unfairly captured and and, and put and, in jail um, due to due to demonstrating. And organizations like the Innocence Project are great. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of people who need money right now. Also, um, you know, and it is constantly there. There are so many that I I wish I had pulled some examples to to donate to, but also like. Look up who's not accepting donations anymore or who doesn't need donations anymore because yeah. like uh the the Minneapolis fund got so uh amazingly overwhelmed um you know that they had to start turning away donations mm-hmm. um and you know so there's always there's plenty of of people that need yeah. your help so if you have the time that's an easy way to contribute uh without contributing a lot of time or money um if you have more of those things it's good to do more of those things it's good to uh you know volunteer i know that's weird right now with the pandemic situation um yeah but yeah so you know especially if you can donate and or help out locally that's usually going to be more effective and more direct than a lot of the larger national um organizations which yeah you know, yeah if, and they can really help out like, your local communities um and, yeah and you know that's and also you know fucking vote we got a very important election coming up mm-hmm. uh in november and and local politics matter just do a quick google search you can find out what places are good to donate to you can check where the money comes from that supports these places uh, and if you're a white person and you're listening to this and your butthole's getting tight and you're like, oh, I want to just move on from talking about race and stuff. Like, just take a second and think about why you feel that way. Like, what is it about this conversation that makes you uncomfortable? Um, Because white people need to help. That's, you know, that's the only way things are going to change. And so if if this is making you uncomfortable, think about why. Uh, I'm not telling you to change your life overnight. but you you have the the privilege to think about it and to sit on the fence and just take a second and and really examine that and uh you know and and hopefully uh you can come to terms with whatever negativity you're feeling towards a movement like black lives matter absolutely all right and with that we will move on um I posted a survey online uh, quite a while ago, actually. This would be, even be before the last episode. But I wanted to read off the answers here. And then, of course, we'll give our own 
uh, to this survey question that I that I uh, posted on our Facebook. So if you're not following us on Facebook, please do. Uh, Facebook.com/slash are yeah. getting more and more exciting for me because cool. I'm not I'm largely not on social media anymore. Right. So you don't uh, know what they are until I read them to you. <laughs> yeah, so it's like like, oh fuck, I gotta come up with an answer quick. Yeah, well there's quite a few here, so it'll give you some time to think about it. But the survey question was what movie or TV show do you watch to fall asleep? And no, I don't mean stuff that you find boring. Okay, so you don't mean stuff you find boring. So you just mean like like the the your go tos to like relax your brain to right just like get comfortable and unwind and and okay and yeah something you might just have on the background like it helps you kind of lull you into slumber uh, and okay. here look, we have a answer from uh, Daisy who says she watches Seinfeld Frasier or Mystery Science Theater three thousand uh, Jessica Buckley says. Familiar comedies such as Cheers, The Office, or Gallivant. Do you know what Gallivant is? Mm, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, I think it's like a musical. I watched like the first episode. It was it was like the whole show is a musical. Um, I don't know. I think the first episode was. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay, I've never heard of it. Uh, yeah, I. Oh, I guess it only lasted a season. That kind of makes sense. That's pretty ambitious. I guess um, Ellen Minkin did the music for it. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Um, Cynthia says, all of the Lord of the Rings movies. And for shows, she watches Dairy Girls. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, My wife was into that. It's like like a Scottish uh, teen comedy. Okay. So nothing to do with Stephen King. Irish. Irish. No, no, no. Gotcha. It's it's very not Ooh. American. All right. Uh, another one from Daisy. She wanted to add Blackadder to her list. And uh, that's another British show. Another right? British show. Yeah. Maybe there's a, something to that. Uh, Nanette, friend of the show, Nanette says Dexter, Mindhunters, or Frasier. I think it's the second Frasier we've <laughs> oh, seen on Jesus. here. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. One uh, of those things is not like the others. Um it, well, that's also like Dexter and Mindhunter. Like, I mean, Dexter's kind of silly, but it's still about serial killers. It's still pretty right. violent. And Mindhunter is—it's <laughs> it, great, but it is dark. No judgment, <laughs> right? No judgment. Uh, Josh Hurley um, says Golden Girls. I'm no surprise there. No, I'm glad he chimed in. <laughs> uh, Amanda Kowalski, who's also been on the show, she says Archer, Rick and Morty, Parks and Rec, stuff I've watched a billion times and don't have to pay attention to anymore. Uh, your brother uh, commented on that and said he usually has an episode of Archer uh, loaded on the DVR every night. So that's two votes for my Archer. Br- my brother, Adam Foster. Oh, okay. And then uh, Lindsay says, also says Golden Girls or old Sabrina the Teenage Witch. The original. Okay, not the chilling adventures of Sabrina. No, the... not the one where she's a literal Satanist, but the one with uh, Clarissa Explains It All. Yeah. I've heard good things about the new one. So have I. Uh, so what is it for you? What is your go-to bedtime television or film? Um, hmm. So usually I tend to 
I, I usually am either like I'll, I'll watch a show with my wife, and uh-huh. so that's usually going to be like something we haven't seen before. But if it's like me by myself, like if it's like just pure comfort food, mm-hmm. um, Frasier is such a good choice. Uh, or Cheers, anything in the Frasier Craneverse. Um, really, I did it, not know that you were into like traditional three camera sitcoms like at all i'm not really there's a few that i like though um yeah yeah i like because yeah i I was never into seinfeld i was never into friends things like that Mm -hmm. um i did really like how i met your mother for a while um right but i don't i don't re-watch a lot of shows to be honest um so if it's if it's gonna be something like that it would like Frasier and Cheers, I didn't see, like, I haven't seen everything of them. Right. Um, You know, like, I would just catch random episodes when they were on TV or whatever. So those are good choices for me. Um, Because it's, like, something new, but I don't really have to pay attention to it, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, But lately, the big one has been uh, the X-Men animated TV series. Oh, good choice. Um, yeah, because it's on on Disney Plus, and I forgot how good that show is. Like the first couple, yeah? like the pilot is kind of messy and stuff, but like for a kids cartoon, some of the animation is pretty janky. But um, right, but it still has some like pretty good, sophisticated stories. Like right, well, I mean, you can thank Chris Claremont for all of that. Oh, but, totally, yeah, because they just I mean, they're straight kinda just... up took stories from the seventies and eighties that. Claremont wrote and then just updated it a little. Yeah. Or uh, like would or would like switch characters around like Yeah, uh, they took Rogue. the 90s cast of characters and then put them in the stories of the arcs from the 70s and 80s, like the more famous totally. ones. Um like Rogue was often a stand-in for Colossus because she had like the super strength and, and that kind of thing. Right, right. Um but yeah, no, it's it uh I'm very much enjoying it. I think you gotta really get through you gotta really push it through the pilot, though, because mm. um, it is like a little like, oh, okay. Yeah, I but, bought it. I bought a lot of those on DVD because they were really cheap. Like it was when something was going out of business, and I just grabbed a bunch of them for like two bucks each or something. Um, and I started watching it again. Like I don't know, this is probably like five or six years ago, but I remember it being like, "Oof, this is not hold up like I thought it might." Um, no, you just you gotta. I don't think you probably got far enough into it probably not like it gets like pretty crazy like the the episode i just watched last night they introduced cable and it Uh it, it, they first of all they introduce him way sooner than you thought uh (laughs) he's in like episode four or five Uh and they don't lead with any of the time travel business it's very interesting like I can see the the stories building, and I'm like, oh damn, this is kind of nuanced. Yeah. Uh, okay, so for my answer, what I watch when I'm like really don't want to have to think about anything, and I um, am just looking to like consume garbage till I fall asleep, is YouTube clips from late night, like late <laughs> like interviews and stuff. Oh, okay. Like, like old, uh, like old Conan O'Briens or stuff like that. Or current. Like, I, I mean, it's funny because I don't 
I don't really um care <laughs> about most <laughs> of like the modern celebrities or whatever. But um yeah, I, I kinda like to keep up with what late night's doing. I haven't really been watching any of the stuff post COVID where everyone's recording from home because it's just weird without an audience and a stage and I, it's just mm. depressing and I don't like to watch it. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people have kind of transitioned to that and I've watched a few interviews who are there that are made will, specifically like that, but I will say quick sidebar while, you, while we're on that subject, I did watch the COVID parks and rec reunion special. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. I'm not really a fan of the zoom calls as tv show format yeah uh, but i actually i thought they were really clever and it it fit within the world of parks and rec better mm. than i expected it to so anyway that's just a quick sidebar no no problem but uh while lately the the clips i've been watching the most and the the show that i've fallen in love with the most has been the uh the bravo show watch what happens live with andy cohen have you watched any of that no so it's I know who Andy Cohen is, but right. I mean, he's everywhere. But he, um, it's a. They've been doing it for a while, about six years or so. But it's it's a it's a late night show kind of style. But it's it's a lot more casual. Everybody's drinking, and it's, it's <laughs> live, so people can call in and ask questions and things like that too. But also, um, it just. I think that's a smaller audience. It's not like a late, like it doesn't have the same kind of pressures as like a regular late night program. And I, I think Andy's a really good host and it's all, it's mostly just about getting celebrities sauced and talking about stuff they wouldn't talk about otherwise. No, it um, sounds like a really good time. Yeah. And it's kind of a little bit more like a panel show than it is like a one-on-one -on -one interview style. It doesn't feel like they have to like, hit their marks as hard. Like it feels a little bit more natural and a little bit more like anything can happen. So I've really enjoyed watching clips from that lately. And then what I was going to say for stuff that I would watch to fall asleep, but another uh, YouTube personality that I've really enjoyed lately is this guy named Larry Lawson. He's a uh, ex con. Well, I guess he stole something like $200 million in jewels throughout the nineties. Um, Jesus. and then, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, he, Holy you know, fuck. he, he's, he kind of like came to prominence cause he did one of those videos where, you know how like lately there's the talk to an actual cowboy to review these cowboy movies videos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. or the lawyer talks about these courtroom scenes. Um, well he did one of those for burglary scenes and movies. And then that kind of spun off into his, his own channel where he talks specifically about life in jail because he was in prison from like 95 to 2005 um, or even longer, maybe, um, maybe 2007 or something like that. So Jesus. he released all these videos, like 10 things you need to know about being in, in prison or uh, the six items you need to survive prison, <laughs> prison, things like that. And then he also, he wrote a book and he, he does kind of a, uh, uh, story version of each chapter and you can you can watch all of those as well um where he discusses everything from growing up as a hood to going to the military to becoming a jewel thief to going to prison and getting out and now he works a lot on prison reform and works with law enforcement to like you know figure out like jewel thieves or whatever one of those kind of situations <laughs> um but uh 
you may or may not be surprised how much of his advice deals with hiding things in your ass. Uh, I don't think it would be. That's a large chunk of what his content is about. Okay, cool. <laughs> but Larry Lawson, he's uh, an interesting follow. Um, you talking about talk shows mm-hmm. uh, does remind me of a couple other shows that I like to watch uh, before I fall asleep. Um, and I'm just bringing these up because I didn't get forever to think about it, Cassidy. Okay. <laughs> um, but you mentioned old talk shows, and that made me think of uh, the Conan Without Borders episodes are on Netflix. Mm. Um, his, like, travel specials. Um, n- not all of them are up yet, but uh, they have, like, a season of them up. And those I found, f- like, really relaxing. Um, and kind of in the same vein, uh, comedians and cars getting coffee. All right, and uh, we'll just start talking now about the movie of the week, which is the recently released King of Staten Island, directed by Judd Apatow, starring Pete Davidson. Do you want to describe what's going on in that movie? Uh, Sure, yeah. So uh, Pete Davidson is playing Scott. Um, He is... He lives on Staten Island. Uh, He lives with his mom and his sister. Um, He's... What, 24? Um, yeah, 24, 25. Uh, uh, yeah, so he's, you know, mid-20s, uh, kind of not really doing a lot with his life, not really driven or focused. Uh, he wants to be a tattoo artist. That's sort of his his dream. And his dad uh, died in a fire. His dad was a firefighter, mm-hmm. um, and he went to rescue people, and he never came back. Um, so, and this happened when Scott was a young kid. Um, so he just, you know, is sort of left with these memories of his dad, uh, without ever really knowing who his dad was. He gets this kid in trouble. Uh, I don't know if it's, I I don't want to spoil it because it's a pretty funny scene. Yeah. Um, but he runs afoul of, uh, Bill Burr, who is currently a firefighter. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes to confront the uh, Scott at his house um, and ends up meeting uh, Scott's mom. And the, the two start dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Played so by then Scott, Yeah. And so then Scott has to sort of reconcile his mom's relationship with another firefighter, mm-hmm. um, which uh, he obviously has some uh, baggage about. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of a slice of life dramedy about this character dealing with, you know, these sort of unresolved issues with his father and trying to figure out, you know, like what type of person he wants to be. Right. I, I watched this last night and you can rent it, I believe, pretty much anywhere you can watch it on. I rented it from YouTube because I already had my card information in there, uh, but you can also watch it on Amazon, and I think you can just uh, go directly to iTunes and, and watch it that way, too. Um, and I don't know. So I <laughs> maybe I haven't even come to a consensus on this yet. I didn't <laughs> think it was particularly funny, but I did kind of enjoy it overall. Um, Pete Davidson as a comedian as a as a you well, know so, most people so know him for, from saturday night live well at, for at this let's point. hold on let's back up i want to provide a little bit of context here mm-hmm. um 
so I mentioned Pete Davidson is playing this character whose dad was a firefighter and died in a fire. Um, If you don't know, this is, you know, pretty close parallel to Pete Davidson's actual life. Uh, right. Because Pete Davidson's dad was a firefighter who died in 9-11. So, so it's sorry, somewhat autobiographical. Like, yeah. And we've seen... Yeah, we've seen um, a version of himself. We've seen Apatow films do this kind of thing before, like with The Big Sick. Where that's... Yeah. It's its own thing, but it's loosely based on the real life of Kumail Nanjiani and his wife. Um, and it, it, similarly, yeah. this uh, is... Funny people. Yeah. Funny people. Wreck. Yeah, yeah, it's sort so, of it's definitely in Yeah, no. So yeah. yeah, it's 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 in that it's in that wheelhouse. It's you know, it's Pete Davidson's turn to do one of these semi-autobiographical dramedies directed by Judd Apatow. And as such, it's it's enjoyable, but I and and there's things about it I really like. Like I, especially when we get into the Bill Burr and Marissa Torme stuff, there was part of me that was like, "Oh man, I really just want a romantic comedy about these two people." Like, I love their scenes together. Bill Burr, this is the best I've ever seen him. I mean, he's he is kind of playing off of his kind of loud East Coast, uh, tough guy-ish, big mouth kind of com- comedy persona. But this is kind of more of this, like, working class version of it. A little less sh- showman than his his regular yeah, it, comedy persona. A little less and it's carefree, a little, a little more, less... Um, it's a, a lot more apologetic. Like he, he's, yeah, he's very loud and boisterous, but he knows his temper is a problem, and so he's quick to apologize. He's he's quick to kind of turn it around. Uh, it's it's like a thing he's working on. Yes, and and we get to know those characters really, really well, actually, considering. They're not necessarily the focus of the movie, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. Good because I love their scenes together and I think they're great characters. Um, there's a lot of really great uh, supporting characters in this film, um, most of which I find vastly more interesting than the main character. Uh, Belle Poli, who plays Kelsey, Pete Davidson's on-again, off-again, fuck buddy. Um, uh, Omar Velez, Lou Wilson, and uh, Moises Aries, who play his stoner friends, his kind of burnout drug dealer friends. Um, and uh, Maud Apatow, who plays his sister, who goes off to college in the beginning of the movie, sort of the inciting incident for everything in Scott's life going awry. Um, I really love sort of the world this movie takes place in and these mm-hmm. these peripheral characters. My biggest problem with the movie is the main character <laughs> because he's kind of an awful person and pretty unredeemable for most of the film. We see at the very beginning of the film, the way they introduce the character is he's driving his car and it seems he seems to be having what looks like a little bit of a panic attack that leads him into a small fender bender. And that kind of introduces you to the character. And I, I really thought that this movie was going to tackle mental health a lot more than it does. It, they they talk about that occasionally through the film, that he has ADHD or that he's struggling from uh, mm. depression or 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 uh, anxiety in some way or another, which kind of st- stunts his, his growth and leaves him in sort of this arrested development. But it's always kind of – it's never really discussed in a really serious manner in a way that I think might help the character out when he's – 
actively being an asshole to everybody in the film. And then on top of it, there's something kind of solipsistic about the way this character exists in this world. Because every time we cut to a scene that he's not in, all they're talking about is him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, well, and I, usually in these, these like, oh, well, I, we think he could do better. He's, he has all this potential, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of comes off like this. All of these characters are trying to make me like the character more than than the actor is. No, I I think the thing with that is uh, knowing someone who like, you know, I've known people who sort of take up that space of like, you know, that there's something there, but there's something blocking them from like being the the person that they want to be and that you want them to be and when they have that kind of self-destructive behavior mm-hmm. um it, it does tend to to make conversations and make focus about them um so to me like i see what you're saying but that seemed pretty realistic to me you know like this uh you know older woman who's a daughter just went off to college and is is you know living with her 24 year old son like what is she going to talk about of course she's going to talk about his problems and 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 those kinds of things and you know this guy who wants to date her is going to have to talk about that sort of stuff a lot so that didn't seem weird to me um mm-hmm. it didn't seem it felt pretty natural actually um right. because it's like you know, uh, everything is so ideal except this one thing. If only we could figure out a, a way to do it. Um, I do see what you're saying about the mental health issues. And honestly, I didn't really think about it when I was watching it because I was just sort of um, enamored with the movie. But it is actually a pretty irresponsible take on mental health uh-huh. uh, because he has some serious issues and doesn't really do anything actively to work through them like medication or counseling or anything like that he just sort of is able to like uh in a crude term pull himself up by his bootstraps right and that's i actually really don't like that way of thinking um so i could see you know another viewing of this movie maybe and and having some more issues with that um, but personally, I, I think I know what you're saying because I, I just really liked the tone of it. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, it didn't feel like overly dramatic. It's not maudlin. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's trying to be overtly funny either. Like it's, there's a few Pete Davidson jokes that are thrown in and generally I think those are the least funny things. <laughs> um, because Pete Davidson, as uh, I think I've talked about him on the show before, but um, I'm, I'm st- even after this, I'm still not. I still wouldn't say I'm necessarily a fan. Um, yeah, and you know he's one of those guys because of stuff like the Ariana Grande thing or whatever. Who he has that kind of like easy target quality to him. Because he's young and kind of full of himself, and he carries himself a certain way that, like, that sort of, uh... It invites criticism. Right, yeah, and... Yeah. 
he he kind of shot to stardom really fast on Saturday Night Live. But um, I actually think there is a raw talent there, and I think that he has comedic ability. And I, I really like this part of the reason why I overall enjoyed the film, even though I I have a lot of criticisms toward it, is that I I like that kind of darker edge on him because I think that's him. I think that's closer to the truth than yes. to try and make him, you know, the next Teen Beat Magazine, you know, uh, it boy. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. And I want to be clear here. I don't think that he's not good in this movie. I think he is. Uh, I think he is really good in this. And I mm-hmm. think it's partially because he's playing. He's he's playing himself. You know, right. he's. he's playing it very close to the the chest and i think that 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 is a good thing that does work for him Mm -hmm. it makes him seem more vulnerable versus the sort of uh you know bad boy image that it seems like he everyone wants him to have yeah Um, no my problems with him in the movie are not his performance it's more the characterization and, the, you know, basically, this is a coming-of-age story. Um, this is about, you know, getting to a certain place in life or forgetting your past in a certain way or overcoming something. And mm. all of those beats are played exactly like you think they would in a movie like this. Um, and that's fine. But it's that the movie, at a point, decides, oh, you like him now. You've seen him do all these horrible things. You've seen him treat everybody like shit. But now he's good because this and i just didn't get there with the character when they when it got to that point when i'm supposed to believe that he's really changed i don't really and i that kind of apitalian lack of structure happening in this film where you have an unnecessary fourth act it's over two hours long for some ungodly reason um as far as that goes, do. it doesn't feel as clunky as some of those later Apatow films, but it, it I think it does overstay its welcome a tad. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I I'm I'm just on the cusp of liking this movie because every time I think of something I don't like, I think of something about it that I loved. But then conversely, every time I think about something that I really liked, I'm reminded of like why it sort of annoyed me or why it didn't pull me over that hump i um i actually really liked this movie i uh i i just thought it was really engrossing and entertaining and and uh it does have some problems but i was just sort of charmed by it mm-hmm. uh so that i you know i just sort of swept over me that uh i and here's the thing i don't disagree with anything you're saying um, I guess it just didn't bother me that much. Um, yeah. And I don't have was... necessarily have a problem with unlikable characters or characters that are difficult. Like, in a way, this, like, very weird comparison, no, it... in a very weird comparison, but in a way, this almost kind of reminded me of the Coen brothers um, Inside Lewin Davis, which is another character who's just, like, cannot help himself. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a there's more of a thematic arc in that movie that this struggles with a little bit yeah and and i do agree with you that uh the redemption i think part of the problem is that they they like you said they try to redeem the character but it it never quite feels 
totally sincere. Like he, well, there's like uh, three or four different plot threads that are leading to his his arc, his his character transition. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the film, we see that he takes the responsibility of walking his Bilber's kids to school. And you think mm. that's going to be the thing? Like, I was like, oh, okay, so now this is just Big Daddy. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, then that just kind of goes away. Um, yeah. Well, so that was, you're getting, you're, you're putting your finger on the, the thing that bothered me about this movie is that there are some serious hanging, like, storyline. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning of the um, film, like, he has a job at a restaurant, and then at some point in the middle, he doesn't anymore for no explainable reason. Yeah, they they weren't really clear on that. Um, the And the one that really bothered me was, um, I didn't feel like there was any resolution to the story arc with his friends. Yeah. Um, Again, they just kind of go away. Yeah. And I mean, there's plot reasons for that at least, but, um, but it, you, it doesn't really, you don't really feel the impact on Mm -hmm. the character. Like, um, there's also, there is one of my favorite scenes in the, in the movie, which I felt thematically was tackling the thing they were trying to do the most, but it uh just kind of fails. Um, or doesn't fail, but it it doesn't lead to anywhere logically to the next part of the movie, which is when he goes to visit his sister in college, and he goes to a college party, and he realizes, like, oh, I could live a normal life. I don't have to, like, shun everybody away, and I actually do fit in much more than I think I do. And I actually even like the way that that scene resolves, where he where he talks himself out of living a normal life and being a normal person uh, just due to his own neuroses. I actually thought that was all very true to life and like super relatable, but I also, but it didn't every, his behavior after that scene did not reflect that he ever lived through that scene. Yeah. And there was also like no resolution to that. Like, uh, you know, and I guess like it's, kind of implied at the end i don't know yeah but no i i again i know what you're saying um and i think these are all some serious issues with <laughs> the story but again i just found it so uh so charming and i think a lot of it is what you're talking about with the supporting cast of, of characters like the friends are a lot of fun mm-hmm. um the uh uh, I agree with you, Bill Burr. This is a, a career best for him, I think. Um, uh, Marissa Torme is charming as usual. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Belle Powley is is uh, a scene stealer. Yeah, she's so good. So uh, I, actually, kind of in a weird way, reminds me of a young Marissa Torme. I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and. And also, in a weird way, I think she has more of a character arc. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, so, I again, I agree with everything you're saying, but at the end of the day, I just enjoyed it, and so that, it, I, I can't even necessarily quantify why. Mm-hmm. It was just like, it was just a nice thing to put on the TV, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like... Okay, I want to live in this world. I want to keep living in this world. I, mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. And so, to me, I again, I didn't. There's feel a steady like it- rhythm to the film, like, even though it's kind of sprawling and messy, plot wise. Um, it 
it feels a little bit more on track or at least on rhythm than other Apatowian comedies that just yeah. have like clunky set pieces. Totally. And and maybe that's it. Is it, it is that the individual scenes didn't feel too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, the movie does kind of lull you into a rhythm. Um, so, you know, and maybe that's all, maybe that's literally all it is. Uh, uh, to help me overlook these these clear story issues, but well, again, it almost I just feels like enjoyed it. It almost feels like this was shot to be like a five episode TV show, and then it got whittled into a two and a half hour movie. Um, yeah, I mean, knowing Judd Apatow, it's entirely possible that there's that much footage. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, if you were watching this, if this was like Pete Davidson's Master of None. Like, then yeah. I could see them being able to tackle all these characters and all these situations and all these life things individually and then come to different conclusions per episode and then come to a bigger conclusion by the end of the series. Whereas this doesn't really have the time to do that. So instead, things just kind of pop up and disappear. Um, but yeah, I kind of enjoyed, I more than anything, just the tone of the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the thing that I, as far as tone that I d- enjoyed a lot about it was that it feels like this sort of indie dramedy, yeah. but it doesn't have to be, you know, and it's about a, a kid who lost his dad at a young age, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel heavy, like, like, obviously the character's going through some very heavy stuff, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not opposed to, like, heavy movies, um, but I like that the movie isn't, isn't necessarily concerned with making you feel what this character's feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, like I you almost could have used a bit more of that, though. I think, I don't, I wouldn't want it to derail the tone that they're already going for. No. But I think you could, you, I think there's a point in the character when we need, we need to be a little more than arm's length from him, because I think that yeah. the Kind of funnily enough, the character, the character is doing to the audience what he does to everybody in the movie, which is he kind yeah, of uses yeah. sarcasm to push everybody away and to protect himself. But we never really get to know what he's protecting himself from. Like I think we so, yeah, need a little totally. bit of interiority at least at a few points. The only time we get it is that first scene when we get really inside his head. Um, if we could have had that somewhere end of the second act, you know, at a, at a, at a breaking point, then, and we see him like destroy his TV cause he's getting kicked out of his mom's house, but that kind of feels more like a hissy fit than a, you know, a mental breakdown. Um, yeah, I yeah. just think no, it would have helped I, us get on board with him more. Yeah. And, and I was actually just about to say like this movie, you sort of feel like one of his friends. Yeah. Like you sort of, it makes you feel like you're in this place in Staten Island of just like, hanging out with people and not not having shit to do and and that sort of thing and so it, it to me this movie is very successful at being like uh, a mood piece mm-hmm. uh, and it's very successful at like capturing a time in a, a young person's life mm-hmm. um but yeah it's not super successful at like clean narrative or or uh, uh paying off the drama character arc yeah. yeah. But I love the characters and I think that 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 really for me holds 
holds it together. I, the world building and the characters, I could swim in this all day long. Totally. All right, so what is your grade for the King of Staten Island? <sighs> you know, I'm like I'm like jammed between a C plus and a B minus. Oh, okay. I, I can't uh, even well, decide. My grade was a B minus, if that helps your decision. It doesn't. <laughs> um, okay. Come back to me in another hey, week. What, am I not good enough for you? Is my rating not good enough for you? <laughs> no, I'm just very torn. Like on, you know, if I were like, if I were a Rotten Tomatoes critic and I had to give it a splat or give it a tomato, it would take me a minute to decide. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our streaming homework then, which is uh, Taika Waititi's film, Hunt for the Wilder People. And, uh, which is streaming on Hulu. Which is available on Hulu. So this was released in 2016. And when did he, when did uh, Thor Ragnarok come out? That was, was that the same year? Uh, 2017. So. Yeah, I, I think it was right after. Uh, and this stars uh, Sam Neill and Julian Dennison, who some people might remember as the kid who's sort of the villain in uh, Deadpool 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Rima Tawida. Never knew her name before, but I've definitely seen her in some stuff. Um, this and, is- uh, and Rachel House, who uh, some, some eagle-eyed viewers might recognize from Thor Ragnarok. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Um, so this is made by Taika Waititi in his homeland of New Zealand, and it's a story about another young troubled person um, who is uh, taken from the New Zealand government and being placed in a home, um, a sort of surrogate family out in the boonies of New Zealand in the bush, and the kid kind of quickly befriends his uh, foster parent. Yeah. Uh, named Bella and she kind of shows him some things and gets him used to it, get, gets him used to living kind of by himself out in the woods. And she has this kind of warm soul and warm spirit, but pretty much by the end of the third act or by the end of the first act, she uh, dies suddenly, which leaves him uh, under the company of her husband played by Sam Neill, who is, very grumpy and not too into it and doesn't want a lot to do with the kid. And when he tries to run away, tries to fake his own death and run away into the bush, um, <laughs> Sam Neill finds him and they end up sort of through lots of circumstances getting lost and then um, being chased by the agency that placed him with the family in the first place. Yeah, and Foster care family. Yeah, so it ends up being sort of this uh, uh, fantasy meets it's like rugged a realism. Yeah, it's a, like a little bit of a real like chase movie, like police uh, chase movie, also sort of mixed in with um, sort of a fantasy element uh, of from the kid's perspective of how the, the adventure he thinks he's experiencing um, without mm. ever like going magic realist or anything like that. But the film did remind me heavily of the, uh, the Wes Anderson film, Moonlight Kingdom, which had a lot of similarities. Um, but yeah, what did you think of hunt for the wilder people? Um, all right. I, I don't know how else to do this. 
Um, I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was like completely enamored by it. Um, I agree with you that it does have sort of a Wes Anderson-y vibe. Sure, but that's um, what people said but, about Taika Waititi since the beginning. Yeah, and and I actually, uh, you know, if if I have to choose, I'm Team Taika. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, like I just, I there is something about his comedic sensibility that just gets to me uh, that I'm like, okay, yeah, that's so good. Like, I I just, um, I'm just delighted by pretty much everything he does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think, um, I don't know, again, comparing it to Moonlight Kingdom specifically uh, is a little more, I think Wes Anderson's a little colder, um, a little more detached, whereas yeah. this this has uh, a warmth that just, like, feels like a warm hug, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, well, I would say both both comedic sensibilities are pretty arch, but I would say this is less so. It's a, There's a little bit of a grounding there, especially in sort of the tactility, the way it's shot. Um, there mm. isn't, there is a little bit more kind of fluidity in the camera and things like that, that allows you in a little closer. I also just really like how the story, um, how that humor unfolds and how the story, like, uh, again, I think that this is, a this was unintentionally, I think a really good companion piece for the King of Staten Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this character uh, does sort of the exact opposite of what we were talking about. Like at the beginning, I I love the the tone, the tonal shift of this movie and how gradual it is. Because mm. at the beginning, I was like, "This is Taika Waititi, right?" Like, <laughs> you know, because uh, it it starts off pretty somber. Um, uh, it it takes a little bit for you to like for these characters to open themselves up to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they do, I just, I find their adventure just to be so much fun. Um, Yeah. The chemistry, the chemistry between him and Sam Neill, this kid and Sam Neill. uh, And there's kind of some stunt casting, I think going on here because Sam Neill, again, playing a reluctant father. Uh, But it's, it's really, really entertaining to watch. And thank God for Taika Waititi giving Sam Neill this much to chew on, because he doesn't, doesn't yeah. get to do this very often. Not anymore. Uh, I, I'm going to say, I think this is a career high point for Sam Neill. Like, mm. I, I love him as an actor, but, uh, but yeah, he gets, he gets to do a lot here. Um, and he gets to play with a lot here. And, um, and Julian Dennison... Uh, holy shit, I thought he was really good in Deadpool 2, mm-hmm. um, but this, it, I just, I thought he was um, so much fun. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I just, again, I found the, the adventure to be uh, charming and disarming, and like, the movie, there, th- there are these moments where it almost sets itself up for like a... a point of tension where it's like you might be worried about this sort of thing in another movie that's about this but the the movie just kind of glides past it and it's like no we're not really interested in that Mm -hmm. um 
like when he uh comes across the the family um uh there there's a moment where they like are trying to help this this park ranger who has uh had a, a medical episode and he comes across this young girl and her father and almost feels like the the scene is starting up to be tense mm-hmm. like when you're first introduced to the situation but then it's just like no that that's not what this is about uh <laughs> and becomes you know just really fun and delightful and and silly um yeah and that's kind of what i meant like there's a fantasy element to it like it kind of feels like there's a little bit of like a an odyssey adventure going on uh inside the film yeah. because i mean yeah they're in the bush and they're sort of on the lamb and trying to to uh avoid the the police and avoid these rednecks who are out trying to hunt them and stuff um but there's also kind of like you're seeing it from the kid's perspective of this is the greatest adventure. Oh, by the way, there's exactly. a really, really good Hobbit joke in this in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, this movie is just delightful. Like, I'm not, I don't know. I just found it so charming and, and fun and sweet. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. Honestly, my only real criticism of this movie uh is that their kiwi accents are so thick that sometimes i'm like what okay what they say like yeah it's like a british television thing like it you know like if i'm watching a lot of episodes of doctor who in a row or whatever i get used to it yeah um but when it's just when you're just hearing it for the the you know foreign hour and a half or whatever it takes you know a good 20 minutes just to kind of get accustomed to the the accents but yeah uh, it's definitely it definitely helps to have the subtitles on which is what i did i just thought this movie was a fun delightful adventure yeah this is just another great film in in taika watiti's catalog i think the only one of his that left me a little underwhelmed was his first film eagle versus shark um but even that is like very watchable and you can see the you know the budding talent that was to grow um uh i highly recommend it i think it's it's really good and it's a good kind of family-ish film without being overly saccharine or message heavy or something like that exactly yeah it doesn't feel and it has, like, still think, has a yeah. little bit of an edge to it yeah it it doesn't it's not risque but it is it, but like yeah i could easily see you watching this with the whole family and and it's it's gonna be fine mm-hmm. all right well next week for the streaming homework uh we will be talking about the original italian job from 1969 and we'll also be reviewing the film the five bloods the new spike lee film that dropped on netflix so both of those are streamable you can watch them without even leaving your house, um, which is the way you should be doing it anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even if stuff's reopening, stay home. COVID is still a thing. There's <laughs> no cures. There's no vaccines. So. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so with that, if anybody has anything to say about anything we talked about on this episode, um, please get at us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also contact us on our social medias at MacGuffinPod, both on Instagram and on Twitter. 
Uh, you can also find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash MacGuffinPod. You can follow me individually at BC Cassidy on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also read uh, the reviews I do every so often for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies. It'll take you directly to their movie page. Yeah, you can uh, please leave us a review on any of the uh, streaming services that you're using to listen to the podcast, specifically iTunes. We really would like more iTunes reviews and star ratings, so please do that. And if you happen to be listening to us directly from the MacGuffin's webpage, uh, MacGuff.in, you can also check out the other articles and reviews by the MacGuffin staff. Keith. Uh, yeah, get off Facebook. Um, get the fuck off of it. Uh... (laughs) It's um, it's nothing but a propaganda machine. Um, unless you're looking at our of, page. <laughs> uh, no, get off of it. No, no Facebook for you. Um, uh, fuck Mark Zuckerberg forever. Um, get off of Twitter. Uh, get get off of it. Um, there's nothing good there. And you can follow me on Instagram, owned by Facebook. Yeah, owned by Facebook, but less icky. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can also follow me. I have a, a uh, art only profile um, called uh, at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I did get uh, accepted into this um, local San Diego horror online gallery. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah, and and I uh, so I did three pieces for that. Um, They'll be on uh, the the horror gallery is there. Uh, you can follow them at Horrorgasm, um, and you can check out the gallery starting June twenty first at uh, www.horrorgasmsd.com. Um, and my pieces will be available for purchase uh, if if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, and you know, check it out. Check out all the the other cool art. All right. And with that, that is going to be the end of the episode. Uh, And normally at the end of the episode, I like to end with a quote from one of the movies we watched. Um, But this week, I'm just going to say Black Lives Matter. Stay safe.